Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable, and successful for years to come. This week on the EDGE podcast, I welcome fellow NSCHBC member and past NSCHBC president, Reed Tinsley. Reed is a Houston-based CPA, certified valuation analyst, and certified healthcare business consultant. He works closely with physicians, medical groups, and other healthcare entities with managed care contracting issues, operational and financial management, strategic planning, and growth strategies. Reed, welcome to the podcast. Gary, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, we're definitely happy to have you today because there's been a topic that's popped up. I've seen all over, not just the internet, but medical social media and just in conversations, and that is physician practice mergers. And so with, I know that has a lot of complexities to it, a lot of unknowns. And so we're happy to have a subject matter expert like yourself share your knowledge today with us. So this will be kind of exciting for me too, because there's a lot to learn about this. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done merger work for a number of years, uh, literally over 20 years. And, uh, and it is an exciting topic and, and not only exciting topic, but a strategic plan topic. Uh, I believe that physicians, you know, need to plan their future, especially smaller groups and decide, you know, should I group up as an option going down the road? And also, if you're a solo physician, you know, is it a transition strategy? Uh, the, the problem that I have with you know, a lot of my solo docs is they don't have a transition strategy. And so, in other words, if something happens or they want to retire, you know, who's going to take over that practice? So right. it's also a transition strategy, the merger process. Well, I've noticed because I have clients, um, just as you do, that are in the process of merging and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I find that they're, they're kind of lost a little bit. So the phrase bigger is better. I was actually looking on your website. Is that always the case? Is that a true statement? Based on experience, I would say yes. There are a lot of efficiencies that can be done through grouping up bigger is better. You know, I don't want to get into the discussion of everyone wants to beat up on managed care because you know, when I'm hired as a, a merger facilitator, uh, one of the first questions I ask is, why are you doing this? And if the first answer I get is to beat up on managed care, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, that's not a that's not a reason to merge uh, because because there's no glue. You got to have glue in the merger to keep people together. And if the only glue is I want to beat up on managed care and you don't beat up on managed care, then the, the whole group is going to dissolve at the end of the day. Well, are most groups um, trying to merge because they want access to more payers or they want more providers? Well, I, sometimes I wonder about that. Yeah. Well, again, I go back to the, you know, the efficiencies of a merger. And when, when groups merge, remember from an overhead standpoint, there's double everything that you got to collapse into a singular. So unfortunately, I'm going to use myself as an example. 
So let's say uh, three groups merge and they have their own CPAs. How many do you need after the merger? One. And I've been on both sides of that fence where I've been named the CPA and I've been on the other side of the fence that says, well, you know, we merged and we just want to pick a new CPA. And I was out of the, out of the process. So and you have, you know, in, double insurance, double vendor. I mean, double vendors of everything. And so you got to pick your vendors. And then as you do that, you know, as you pick your vendors, you're trying to get the best pricing you can. And so that's part of the efficiencies of bigger is better. The overhead, the overhead efficiencies. So here's a question, and, and I'm actually going through it with a client of, of mine right now. Now, I'm not in the process of the merger, but I'm getting the fallout from it because they're merging with and they keep picking up practices to merge with, but they're having their staff in-house handle it. And I'm talking, OK, don't don't let your head spin here, but billing staff and, um, you know, an office manager and then they call somebody a CEO, but it, and they're they're lost They're They're not using an outside consultant like yourself. And I'm noticing that there's no continuity of, you know, EMR and staffing. And it's I mean, even the audits that I get, I'm auditing for this client and I'm noticing that some Doctors are still allowed to use just writing their notes. Some are in an EMR, some is in a different EMR. What is it that you bring to the table and what do you, you know, recommend as far as using that third party consultant to help facilitate a merger? It sounds like that's the best plan. Well, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. Uh, in every merger, you have got to have a merger facilitator, an independent person that can number one guide the process but also number two is to say you know maybe you guys shouldn't be merging and so let's go to the first one first the someone to guide the process um you know there there are three steps to the merger process first one is due diligence and due diligence you know you take all the information from all the practices and you say, okay, here's the best parts. Here's what I don't think will work. And you come up with a game plan of the merger. The second process is the contract development where everyone signs on the dotted line. And I will tell you my own personal uh, on, on stage two contract development, when everyone signs, uh, we all get in a room together and, you know, I have a personal deal is I bring some bottles of champagne. We pop the cork and toast the birth of a new group. Third phase is the startup phase. And that's like setting up a new practice. And, and that's the key right there is where you need the merger facilitator is to make sure that everything is ready when you turn that key and say, we're going live. Um, I had one group where I merged 75 doctors together and they had me involved in the first two stages of the merger, but not the third stage, which is the implementation phase. And they said, oh, we can handle it. We can handle it. And within the first six months, collections had dropped 50%. And that's because they did not get everything set up and ready 
to start billing and collecting on day one. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a disaster. And, and what I've learned is on phase three, implementation phase, that you've got to ask everybody, are you ready? Especially if you get a new EMR system, if you need to you get a new PM system, are you ready? Are you comfortable? Have you had the enough training on this new system? Because that's the other deal of a merger. You know, I mentioned myself as a CPA, but, you know, you bring in like three different groups. What if they have three different EMR and PM systems? You got to pick one. Which is what I'm dealing with right now with two groups. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so you got to ask people, literally ask people, are they ready? And you can, you, you can hear the answers. Here's a question. And okay, so our listeners are going to probably laugh at me because this is going to be a female question. <laughs> and I don't apologize for it. <laughs> so when we and I say this kind of in jest, getting a bunch of females together, if you have more than 10 in a room, you've got all these different personalities, not everybody's going to like each other. <laughs> so when we talk about the merging, is that even something that you address? Is it do, do they have to like each other? Or they just have to get along business wise? Now, Matt, that may be a silly question. But on some level, there has to be that right? What I have found is uh, two things. One is the answer is most mergers, the doctors know each other. Okay. Uh, okay. That's, okay. that's not an issue. Uh, whether they are friends or whatever. I mean, I'm, let, let's go to the bottom line. This is a mer a marriage. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is a marriage. I yeah. mean, and, and, uh, and so what I have found over the years is that people that merge, they are, they know each other. They're comfortable with each other, you know, where they're uncomfortable is, you know, going down the staff level and that kind of stuff because those people don't know each other right. generally right okay all right okay. Well, but the doctors good. themselves know each other okay however uh i was involved in one merger and a a doctor came to a merger meeting and said you know i'm out and and you know we asked her why and she said well you know, my referral sources said that if I merged up with these guys who they didn't like, that they would cut off all of her referrals. Oh, my gosh. All of them. And so, you know, you get into those type of situations in a merger. Again, that's why you need a facilitator, I think, is to, you know, bring out that kind of stuff. But, you know, her referral sources did not like the doctors that she was merging up with and, uh, and said point blank, they're going to cut her off. So sometimes there is that, that factor about personality as well. And you never know why they don't like them and don't know if it's personal or if it's just how they practice or whatever. So just something to consider, I'm assuming when you're, when you are merging. So yeah. next thing I was interested in, one thing you must do is you must look at the negotiation process, obviously. Who is actually in charge of that? Is it the facilitator like yourself, or is it a point person from each group that's merging together, or is it a combination of? Well, it depends on the size of the merger. Uh, if it's a, a, a large merger, like my 75 physicians, 
usually have a, a merger team. Um, if it's a smaller group, then it's me, the facilitator, and the doctors themselves that do it. But again, I want to emphasize, you know, you need the facilitator in there to make the hard decisions because no matter what the size of the group, you know, and I've said this for years and years, especially in my merger seminars, is someone needs to be there to make the hard decisions. And that is the merger facilitator who's the independent person looking in. Do they usually agree with what you're saying or is that part of the contract? Um, no, I mean, it's just, let me give you a really good example. Okay. So I was asked to merge, uh, up in Lubbock, Texas, um, five OBGYN groups. And they were all solo doctors who wanted to group up. So I flew into Lubbock on a Saturday. They picked me up, took me to the country club where we're going to have our meeting and there are the five doctors and five women. And I asked, who are, who are these women? And they said, these are our wives. <laughs> and I said, okay, why are they here? And they said, well, they're our office managers. Literally five practices, wow. five wives managing the five practices. And I said... I will tell you right now that these women will not be a part of this merge practice. We will get our own administrator. And if you want them involved, then let me walk out right now. And they did. Well, they said they will not be involved. We had and we got our own administrator. However, however, there's a great follow up story to this. One of the doctors, when they had their their. Um, their monthly meetings kept bringing his wife to the meetings. Oh, wow. We asked her why. She goes, well, you know, she runs my practice and she needs to hear this. I said, this is our meeting. And to make a long story short, they literally had to have a vote to vote her out of going to the meetings. Oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, I had a, I had a practice like that that had the husband in charge and um, I asked if he had any experience as far as coding, billing, reimbursement, anything on financials, anything bookkeeping, anything human resources. And she's like, no, but he wants to be involved. He's not going to work outside the home. He's going to support me and he's going to work in the office. Well, then I found out that he was skimming off the top. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm not saying that it's always bad to, to have family involved, but like you're saying, you have to be independent, otherwise it gets messy, correct? Uh, correct. You want to hear a, a, a similar funny story? What's that? So I was uh, working with a uh, hospital group, a hospital system in East Texas, who was gobbling up primary care practices. And there was one they really, really wanted. And when I did the valuation, I just could not make it work. And I just said, you know, I, I just don't see where you can get a return on your investment in this group. So it kind of died and they called me back and said, uh, the doctor wants to meet with you privately. So I drive into East Texas and I meet and her husband 
was the administrator of the practice. Okay. And, and so I met with the doctor and the first thing they say is, you know, my CPA says I shouldn't show you this, but they showed me a schedule of all of the payments that were paid in cash over the counter, co-pays, deductibles, whatever. Yep. They stuck right in their pocket. Yep. That's exactly and what I found. They called it, it's funny, they called it their boat money. Oh my gosh. To support oh, their no. boat. And I said, really? Your CPA said don't show you this because they're committing tax fraud because they're not reporting it on their taxes. Oh, it was hilarious. God. Yeah, I get that and this too. Was, I mean, this was probably 10, 12 years ago. And so, you know, if you take that money and stick it in the practice where it should have been, then it would have been, a, you know, a viable practice. Well, I had the practice that I was talking about where the the um, the husband actually used his personal cash app. So I think it was Venmo or something and told patients to pay their co-pays to that. And that's how he was able to do it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. So. <laughs> Exactly. There's a lesson here, listeners. There's a lesson here. We're not, and actually just to, for the listeners, we're not trying to say that, you know, the wives or the husbands are, are bad to be a partner personally, but when you bring them into the practice without skills, without understanding of what's going on, you, you will run into some trouble. I mean, even on my end, I, I see most of it is um, inexperience where they, they don't have the background. It's just the only tie to the physician is by marriage. So that's where it becomes an issue. Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. And uh, I know we're going off on a few tangents here, that's but okay. let me go off on another one. And, sure. you know, we'll get back. Uh, we'll get back to the merger discussion. But, you know, it, as far as, you know, looking at stuff that we just talked about, one of the, my anal things is comparing, you know, money that goes in the bank versus money that gets posted in the uh, PM system. And, uh, and if you're closing your day and you're reconciling your deposits every day, you know, those numbers should match fairly closely. You know, there's going to be a timing difference always, but um, if they don't match, if they're way off, you know, there's your red flag that you ought to be looking at. Right. No, I see that too. So circling back to to the merger part, and actually, you know, again, to our listeners, this this all really is part of, of merger because there are little things that you may not realize that come up that you're going to have to deal with, like, like what Rita was talking about. So I have a question as far as you mentioned valuation. Do you ever have mergers? Well, I'm, I'm sure you do, but how do you handle this where you have one practice that, like you said, isn't as profitable as another one or several of them? How does that work in the negotiation process where it seems like it would be favorable to the practice that isn't that profitable versus the practice that is? How does that work as far as things being negotiated or I guess everyone wants equal, you know, equal footing? You know, that's that's part of the due diligence phase that that part one of the merger process. You know, you look at that, but the way I do it, which may not be what everyone does is, you know, I want one person, one vote, uh, no matter how big you are or whatever. The difference in size, you know, we'll deal with on the back end. Because remember, the only time that matters is on evaluation is if you sell the practice. Okay. Okay. So if you sell the practice to private equity or anyone else, 
you know, insurance or whatever, you know, how do you split the proceeds of the sale? And that's where you get in the issue is, well, I brought more to the table than you did. Right. That's what I was thinking you'd hear. And so we deal with that on, or I deal with that on the back end, okay. you know, so how to split those proceeds. Now, how does it work as far as staff? I know a lot of the um, lower level staff get a little nervous when they start to see mergers and acquisitions. How is that typically determined who gets kept and who lets go? Because um, you mentioned, you know, you're going to have double vendors, you know, some double expenses, but they're going to let go a lot of their, you know, maybe CPAs or attorneys or whatever. What about the the lower level staffing? So like just back office staff and coders, billers, things like that. Who, how is that decided? Uh, you know, actually, I would not stop, start with lower level people. Oh. I'd start with the higher level people. There's where your problem is in the merger process is that let's say there are three groups merging together. Well, they all have an office manager. Well, after the merger, how many do we need? One. Just one. And what I have found over the years is physicians are very loyal to their employees. This is the hardest discussion of the process is who do we keep? Who do we let go? You have an administrator. Again, this is, this is another reason why you need the facilitator who can look at each group, group, who's the better performing group, because what you're trying to do in the due diligence phase is pick out all the best parts of every group that's merging. You know, you, you put the best with the best. And one of those is, you know, the administrator. And boy, that talk about causing some angst when you have to pick that person. And sometimes you don't pick that person. You pick someone else totally from the outside. It's usually somebody that's worked there for 20 years too, right? Oh, God. I mean, it, it, is, it is the most hardest part of the process is picking the people that will be involved. Now, going back to the lower level people, you know, for example, depending on geographic location of the offices you know if you decide to have a central billing office okay think of all the co billers and collectors of all the offices who are you going to pick to be in that central business office right so again that's why you look at the groups and look at who's doing the best at billing and collection and say okay there's obviously a reason for this and you start making those hard decisions. And let me make a, a comment right now about the success of a merger. And again, this is my style, my philosophy, but I believe that to make a merger successful, you've got to make those hard decisions up front, not post-merger. Because a lot of people say, okay, let's just merge and we'll just weed people out you know, as we go along. And I say, no, right. let's make the, the, the hard merger decisions, which is selecting your vendors, selecting your employees, for example, selecting your, you know, your, your billing and EMR systems. Let's do it up front. And, and that's the hardest part is getting the doctors to make those hard decisions. 
What's interesting is during the pandemic, I don't know if you deal with this during a merger, but during the pandemic, because we, you know, everybody got closed down at the beginning and everything, they got a lot of staff that, you know, everybody was kind of sent home and had to pivot to uh, virtual. I had found that, you know, a lot of clients I was working with, I said, okay, let's start working accounts. You know, you can't, you're not seeing patients for a little bit. So let's start working accounts, see what's out there. And I was finding <laughs> so much missed revenue, so much missed opportunity. And this was from some of the staff that had been there for years and years that have never, never really been held accountable or, or checked on. And I don't know if you find that in a merger where, you know, there's a staff, like you said, the doctors are unbelievably loyal to somebody they're used to. And all of a sudden they find that maybe that staff isn't the most efficient. Find that all the time. Me too. Not only in the merger process, but literally day to day. Yeah, me too. Day to day. Right. I mean, I, I'm glad you were, mentioned the word accountability because, uh, you know, I, I find that, you know, not only in the healthcare community, but others, uh, the accountability part is just so totally lacking at all, you know, so, but it who's is. there to make it accountable? Right. And then who's, who's there to make the administrator accountable? That's what I like about working with the younger physicians is that, you know, they really have their thumb on the business side of medicine. Uh, the older doctors, you know, what I found over the years is they say, look, I just want to practice medicine. Administrator, you deal with everything. Okay. And there was nobody there to make the administrator accountable. Right. But the younger physicians today, I'm really pleased that they, they seem to have a better pulse on the business side of, of, of medical practice. I had just one, just to, to kind of wrap up, I had one recently where she'd been there 31 years and the doctor said, I'm just, I'm losing money, Terry, can you just look at orthopedic practice? I said, yeah, we'll take a look. Let's see what's going on. And I, after 20 minutes, just 20 minutes of looking at his AR, I noticed they were doing a lot of joint injections. And I said, where's your medicine? And he's like, what are you talking about? I go, where are all your meds for you're doing, you know, all kinds of joint injections. I'm not seeing it. I said, Hyalgen, you know, what are you, where are you using? And he says, oh, she said, we can't build the medicine. We can only build the injection. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> so for uh, 12 years, they had, they were paying for all the medicine, but not billing for it. And so talk about walking out the door in excess of about $2 million. So, you know, just to kind of wrap up, not just with the mergers, but as we talked about accountability and actually figuring out who stays, who goes, and it sounds like that, you know, everybody needs to be looked at. Everyone, when you're looking at your medical practice, not just even if you're looking at valuation, but I would think um, from considering a merger, why are you merging? It really is a process to determine what, you know, like you said, the cream rises to the top. You're trying to get the best of the best, right? The best of the best. And, and let, let me let me leave with a, a few nuggets. Um, number one, you know, to succeed under a merger, um, I tell doctors at the initial meeting, number one, leave your ego at the door uh, and be ready to compromise because during this process, not everyone's going to get their way. Okay. And then, uh, you know, 
the make uh, make the hard decisions early. And and my final comment about this is in my my last slide of my merger uh, presentation, I say, remember what Dr. Sholin said. I was involved in a uh, five group OBGYN practice and and it, it comprised of nine doctors. Four were, were, were in one group, the rest were solo doctors. And we had all these mer merger meetings, really, really great. And we were about the fourth meeting in and the lead guy said, to Dr. Scholin said, you know, we've been in all these meetings, merger meetings, and we're doing all this stuff. And, you know, you haven't said a word in any of these meetings. And, you know, we kind of like to have your feedback. And I remember this like yesterday, Dr. Scholin looked up, looked around the room and he said, I only have one question. What's in it for me? And I remember that to this day. And whenever I'm a merger facilitator, one thing I make sure of with everybody is what's in it for them. And th in other words, there better be a lot of benefit to make this work. Wow, that's great. And that's a great way to wrap it up. And Reed, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today, a great subject matter expert on the topic um, for anyone who's considering a merger. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. This topic could not come at a better time with the unrest we're seeing financially in healthcare and other industries, so we definitely appreciate Reed's insight for this. To contact Reed directly, go to nschbc.org website and click on the field Find a Consultant tab and type in Reed, R-E-E-D, in the first name field, and you'll have his direct contact, contact information. Also a reminder, the nschbc.org website offers monthly free webinars on a variety of topics, as well as quarterly Medicare regulatory update webinars. Please go to nschbc.org and click on the Upcoming Education tab. So that's it for us today, everyone. Make it a great day, a great rest of your month, and thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. I'm Terry Fletcher. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.